The following comes to you through Podbean.com. In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Here we go. Welcome, welcome to In the Artist Realm with uh, myself. I am in the author, Sylvia Stein, and I welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Happy Wednesday to everyone. Um, I'm so excited for this show today. Um, As I said, uh, today's show is going to be on writing tips back again, and we're going to focus on writing tools, 50 Essential Strategies for Every Writer. And I had started a section, um, and the book is by author Roy Peter Clark, which was one of the books highly recommended on Stephen King, authors, you know, the wonderful and talented Stephen King on writing on his book. If you uh, haven't read his book, you should. And he recommends this wonderful book by Roy Peter Clark. And I had started on the tool one, beginning sentences with subjects and verbs. I also went into order word for emphasis, um, and I and I do plan to go back to the workshop um, questions that I had asked you all to work on. Those of you that tune in um, for the, uh, they, they both have sections. If you get the paperback, you'll find it on page eighteen for the uh, section on order word for emphasis, and you'll also find. The workshop questions on page 14 on the paperback version where we discuss beginning sentences with subjects and verbs. So I don't want anyone to forget and I hope to bring you more of a PowerPoint or type of presentation on Keynote uh, through the audio, um, hopefully in the near, in the new, in the next coming weeks. But for today, we're going to go move on to tool three where we activate our verbs or activating your verbs and this is on page 19 if you have not purchased this book I I hope you will get it through Kindle edition if you can because you now have that access where you can highlight and you know highlight any important stuff and it talks about writing tools 50 essential strategies for every writer by author Roy Peter Clark and we're gonna move on to page 19 and I welcome you to the show now today we're going to start off with different sections. I will do like a newsreel to introduce the next section, which is activating our verbs. So here we go. Okay, I thought that was uh, something new. I'm really enjoying GarageBand, so this is you know this is really fun also. Um, okay, so we're going to start with tool three, activating your verbs. Strong verbs create action, he says. Save words and reveal the players. So we're going to read more about this now. We're going to start with uh, page 19. If you have that book, you can follow along. And if you don't, you could download the episode, get the book, and then follow along with it as well. And I, I really hope that this is uh, this. these are uh, the tools that will help you 
I'm going to cover section tool three, and I'm also going to go into tool four. So hopefully we, and then hopefully by the time I do tool four, tool, um, tool four, sorry, I will go back to sections tool one and two of his section on nuts and bolts, a part one of his book. So that way we can go back to the workshop questions. So, which are, are also very informative and will and our exercises to help you practice. So here we go. It says uh, on this page 19, he talks about President John F. Kennedy testified that a favorite book was From Russia with Love, the 1957 James Bond adventure by Ian Fleming. This choice revealed more about JFK, uh, JFK sorry, than we knew at the time and created a cult of 007 that persisted that persists to this day. So basically, this book from Russia with Love, which was initially done by uh, the 1957 James Bond adventure by Ian Fleming, you know, JFK revealed that that was his favorite book, and then it took a, on a life of its own. And then we say, he says, uh, Roy Peter Clark says, continues and says, the power of Fleming's prose flows from active verbs in sentence after sentence. Page after page, England's favorite secret agent or his beautiful companion or his villainous adversary performs the action of the verb. The emphasis is mine. And that's what he puts in parentheses. So he says the action of the verb and in parentheses, Roy Peter Clark writes, the emphasis is mine. And here I'm going to read the excerpt from Russia with Love that was taken from uh, author Ian Fleming. So listen and and because uh, we're talking about activating your verbs. Bond climbed the few stairs and unlocked his door and locked and bolted it behind him. Moonlight filtered through the curtains. He walked across and turned on the pink shaded lights on the dressing table. He stripped off his clothes and went into the bathroom and stood for a few minutes under the shower. He cleaned his teeth and gargled with a sharp mouthwash to get rid of the taste of the day and turned off the bathroom light and went back into the bedroom. So here, if you notice in that passage, it's covered with strong verbs and create action. So what did Bond do? He climbed a few stairs that climbed as one. And then he goes and unlocked, he unlocked his door. And then he goes back to and locked and bolted, so he uses locked and bolted behind him. And then moonlight filtered across uh, through the curtains. So filtered is another verb he uses. He walked and he walked across and turned on the pink shaded lights on the dressing table. He stripped off his clothes, stripped, and then and went into the bathroom and stood for a few minutes under the shower. Stood. Then he cleaned his teeth and gargled. Cleaned and gargled. Another verb with a sharp mouthwash to get rid of the taste of the day and turned off, turned the, the bathroom light and went back into the bedroom. So there you see a whole set of activate. He activated a lot of verbs here. Um, author Ian Fleming did. So he says, Bond gave a shuddering yawn. And he continues shuddering. He let the curtains drop back into place. He let, he bent to switch off the lights on the dressing table. Suddenly he stiffened, stiffened, 
and his heart missed a beat. So there's where the action begins here. There had been a nervous giggle from the shadows at the back of the room. A girl's voice said, Poor Mr. Bond, you must be tired. Come to bed. So here we know that he's he has company, uh, which is the case with if you you know those of us that have followed 007, you know he always has a lady companion, and it's you know it's always he's never alone. Even though all the action, whether it's a villain or anything going on in his life, he always has a lady companion with him. And here we you know we notice what's going on. So in writing this passage. That's what Roy Peter Clark says. Fleming followed the advice of his countryman, George Orwell, who wrote of verbs. Never use the passive where you can use the active. I learned the distinction between active and passive voice as early as fifth grade. So here we're going to learn from activating our verbs. We're going to talk about the active and the passive voice. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you may not. So here's a, here's a lesson from it. Thank you, Sister Catherine William. Uh, I failed to learn until much later. Basically, he's, he's giving a, uh, he's saying something to one of his teachers. Apparently, this was a Catholic school because he's saying he didn't know the distinction. So he, he quotes George Orwell, another great author, and who wrote, never use the passive or you can use the active. And he says, thank you, Sister Catherine William. I failed to learn until much later why that distinction mattered, the distinction between active and passive voice. But let me first correct a popular misconception. The voice of verbs, active or passive, has nothing to do with the tense of verbs. Writers sometimes ask, is it ever okay to write in the passive tense? Tense defines action within time. When the verb happens, the present, past, or future, basically, it has nothing to do with the other. It says the voice of verbs, again, Active or passive has nothing to do with the tense of verbs. Writers sometimes ask, is it ever okay to write in the passive tense? Tense defines action within time. When the verb happens, the present, past, or future. So it says voice defines the relationship between subject and verb. Who, do, who does what? Basically, the, the, the voice of verbs and the and basically... You, you can't confuse the, the two. That's what he's trying to say. Voice defines the relationship between subject and verb. Who does what? So here we're going to talk more about it. And he mentions, if, uh, Roy Peter Clark says, If the subject performs the action of the verb, we call the verb active. If the subject receives the action of the verb, we call the verb passive. A verb that is neither active nor passive is a linking verb, a form of the verb to be. So... Again, if the verb, if the, I'm sorry, if the subject performs the action of the verb, we call the verb active. If the subject receives the action of the verb, we call the verb passive. A verb that is neither active nor passive is a linking verb, a form of the verb to be. He continues, all verbs in any tense fit into one of these three baskets. News writers reach often for the simple active verb. Consider this New York Times lead by Carlotta Gal on the suicidal desperation of as of Afghan women. So here, there, he's quoting another article, which is uh, one of the things we covered in the first one when we covered about starting sentences with 
subjects and verb. We went to a news article, so he talks about this. He says, news writers reach often for the simple active verb. So Carlotta Gal wrote this, this news report, and he says, and, and I'm quoting from the New York Times lead by Carlotta Gale, uh, Gal. Sorry. Wave-like draped in a pale blue veil, Medina 20 sits on her hospital bed, bandages covering the terrible raw burns on her neck and chest. Her hands tremble. She picks nervously at the soles of her feet and confesses that three months earlier she set herself on fire with kerosene, which is very astounding, you know, when you're starting to read that, you know, what she did. And this this report, you know, goes into detail. And, and just by reading it, it says they go to this, the action verb. Both Fleming and Gal use active verbs to power their narratives, but notice an important difference between them. While Fleming uses the past tense to narrate his adventure, Gal prefers the present. This strategy immerses readers into the immediacy of experience as if we were sitting right now beside the poor woman in her grief. So yes, we do because it says, wave-like draped in a pale blue veil, Medina 20 sits, she's talking presently on her hospital bed. And what is happening? She's covered in bandages, uh, covering the terrible raw burns on her neck and chest, which she did to herself which, you know, and her hands tremble. She picks nervously at the soles of her feet and confesses that three months earlier, she set herself on fire with kerosene. And this is covering the suicidal, desperate action, uh, desperation of Afghan women. So this is something, a news report that's covering that. And it says, and then we, we immediately feel the grief that the woman's feeling. Both Fleming and Gal avoid verb qualifiers that attach themselves to standard prose, like barnacles to the hull of a chip, ship, sorry, um, not chip, ship, sorry. I was already talking about a potato chip, and it's a, the sound I made, it's actually a ship, like, uh, you know, the ships that go to shore. Uh, so here we, we use the example, so both Fleming and Gal avoid verb qualifiers that attach themselves to standard prose like barnacles to the hull of a ship. So like sort of, tend to, kind of, must have, seem to, could have, used to, begin to. Those are those are called uh, verb qualifiers and they avoid those. So sc scrape away these crustaceans during revision and the ship of your prose will glide toward meaning with speed and grace. So when you try to write, when you edit, try to avoid these type of words. That's what it's trying to say. The earnest writer can overuse a writing tool. If you shoot up your verbs with steroids, you risk creating an effect. That's what he says. That poet Don Hall, Donald Hall derives as false color. The stuff of adventure, magazines, and romance novels. Temperance controls the impulse to overwrite. So he's, he's saying... If you you know, in order for you to to uh, have a something that glides with meaning uh, with meaning with speed and grace, he, he he says it's better to not to overuse. The earnest writer can overuse. We tend to overuse a tool. If you shoot up your verbs in, uh, with steroids, that description he gives, your risk you risk creating an effect that poet Donald Hall derives as false color. The stuff of adventure magazines and romance novels, temp, uh, romance novels, 
Temperance controls the impulse to overwrite. That's just what he's, you know, his own opinion on it. In the Joy Luck Club, novelist Amy Tan exercises exquisite control using strong verbs to depict the authentic color of emotional truth. So those of us that have read Joy Luck Club by the novelist and author Amy Tan, you can, uh, let me go ahead and read her excerpt now, and you will see what he's trying to say about using strong verbs. So pay attention. And in my memory, I can still feel the hope that beat in me that night. I clung to this hope day after day, night after night, year after year. I would watch my mother lying in her bed, babbling to herself as she sat on the sofa. And yet I knew that this, the worst possible thing, would one day stop. I still saw bad things in my mind, but now I found ways to change them. I still heard Miss Sorcy and Teresa having terrible fights, but I saw something else. I saw a girl complaining that the pain of not being seen was unbearable. So here, you know, she's using, he, uh, Amy Tan is talking about a memory and she's using these strong uh, words to, or strong verbs to to uh, kind of describe what's going on in, in, in her surroundings. Now, in, the, in this last section of the tool three, it says, Ian Fleming's verbs describe external action and adventure. Amy Tan's verbs capture internal action and emotion. But action can also be intellectual. In the force and power of an argument, as Albert Camus demonstrates in The Rebel. So here's another example by Albert, uh, author Albert Camus, and this is from in, uh, demonstrated in The Rebel. The metaphysical rebel protests against the condition in which he finds himself as a man. The rebel slave affirms that there is something in him that will not tolerate the manner in which his master treats him. The metaphysical rebel, rebel sorry, declares that he is frustrated by the universe. So here is uh, um, more intellectual of what he's describing here by, uh, by the author Albert Camus in The Rebel. Notice that even with all the action verbs in the passage, Camus does not pass on the passive when he needs it. When uh, he does not pass on the passive when he needs it, he is frustrated, which brings us to the next tool, which uh, we're going to discuss more about being passive aggressive. So, but in the meantime, there are questions also on page 22 workshop, which we'll talk about. Um, and each tool, as I said, has a uh, discussion questions and I'm going to go over those questions in another another section once I finish the the six sections that I'm going to be covering today I'm only covering three and four next week I'll cover five and six then the show after that will have on the workshop questions and we'll go over some of those so that in each of the sections and those that you can work on at home and for your own uh, self and this way we, we know what more or less what what kind of questions we need to ask when we're, we're working on this workshop. And I really hope that so far you're, uh, you're keeping up and you're able to uh, pay attention to what uh, Roy Peter Clark is trying to tell us in, in his sections. And, I, and this is why I think this is a great book because it'll start um, helping you develop your sentences and restructure them 
or, or, or formulate them after you complete your manuscript and then you begin on the editing process. So this is what the whole point of that is. So now I'm going to go to tool four. And we're going to do another newsreel. Um, and this will be a shorter one. And we're going to go to tool four. So here we go. Okay, tool four, or tool four, be passive aggressive. Use passive verbs to showcase the, the victim of action. So this is tool four. So uh, Roy Peter Clark continues. So the gold standard of write, for writing advice is this. Use active verbs. Those three words have been uttered in countless writing workshops with such conviction that they must be gospel. But are they? Check out the last paragraph in the first clause. I use the form of the verb to be in this case is. In the next sentence, I use the passive voice have, uh, have been uttered. In the final sentence, I resort to another form of to be in this case are. My point is that you can create acceptable prose from time to time without active verbs. Why then does voice matter? It matters because of the different effects of the different effects active passive and to be verbs have on the reader and listener i'll call on john stein uh john steinbeck again to describe this true life encounter in north dakota the emphasis is mine so here it is again we're gonna he we're gonna go into what he just said about uh, you know, he says, but are they? He's talking about, you know, everyone tells you to use active verbs, but uh, check out the last paragraph. You know, I'm, I'm giving you a choice to see, does it, can it do well without active verbs? And does voice matter? And here we go. Presently, I saw a man leaning on a two-strand barbed wire fence. The wires fixed, not to posts, but to crooked tree, but to crooked tree limbs stuck in the ground. The man wore a dark hat and jeans and long jacket, washed palest blue with lighter places at knees and elbows. His pale eyes were frosted with sun glare and his lips galley as snake skin. A twenty-two rifle leaned against the fence beside him and on the ground lay a little heap of fur and feathers, rabbits and small birds. I pulled up to speak to him, saw his eyes wash over Roshin Rosinate sweep up the details and then retire into their sockets and I found I had nothing to say to him so we simply brooded at each other from travels with Charlie so here he says Roy Peter Clark says I counted 13 verbs in the passage 12 action and one passive a ratio a ratio George Orwell would admire the litany of active verbs heats up the scene, even though not much happens. The active verbs reveal who is doing what. The author sees a man. The man wears a hat. The author pulls up to talk with him. They brood at each other. Even inanimate objects perform action. The rifle leans against the fence. Dead animals lie on the ground. Embedded in all that verbal activity is one splendid passive verb. His pale eyes were frosted with sun glare. 
Form follows function. The eyes in real life receive the action of the sun, so the subject receives the action of the verb. That's the writing tool. That's what he says. That's Roy Peter Clark. Use passive verbs to call attention to the receiver of the action. When columnist Jeff Elder described the extinction of an American species, species the passenger pe pigeon, in the Charlotte Observer, he used passive verbs to paint the birds as victims. Enormous roosts were gassed from trees. They were shipped to market in rail car after rail car. In one human generation, America's most populous native bird was wiped out. The birds do nothing. They are done unto. The best writers, see another example of a, a, a column. The best writers make the best choices between active and passive. A few paragraphs from the one cited above. Steinbeck wrote, the night was loaded with omens. Steinbeck could have written, omens loaded the night. But in that case, the active voice would have been unfair to both the night and the omens, the meaning and the music of the sentence. In Pedagogy of the Oppressed, it's another example that Roy Peter Clark says, Brazilian educator Paulo Freire uses a distinction between active and passive verbs to challenge an educational system that places the power of teachers over the needs of students. An oppressive educational system, he argues, is one in which, and he writes, this is taken from the Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Brazilian educator Paulo Freire. The teacher teaches and the students are taught. The teacher thinks and the students are thought about. The teacher disciplines and the students are disciplined. In other words, an oppressive system is one in which the teacher is active and the students are passive. A strong active verb can add dimension to the cloud created by some of the verb to be. Strong and white, and this is another book, The Elements of Style, provided a nifty example. There, there were leaves all over the ground becomes leaves covered the ground. Four word sentence outworks seven words. So there were leaves all over the ground and it becomes leaves covered the ground. In graduate school, Don Fry helped me to see how my prose wilted under the weight of passive and to be verbs, another example that he's given. Sentence after sentence, paragraph after paragraph began. It is interesting to note that, or these are those occasions when pompous in directions bred by the quest for an advanced degree. But there are sweet uses of to be, as Diane Ackerman demonstrates in defining one difference between men and women. So another example, this time using Diane Ackerman. The purpose of ritual for men is to learn the rules of power and competition. The purpose of ritual for women is to learn how to make human connections. They are often more intimate and vulnerable with one another than they are with they're men, and taking care of other women teaches them to take care of themselves. In these formal ways, men and women domesticate their emotional lives, but their strategies are different. Their biological itineraries are different. His sperm needs to travel. Her egg needs to settle down. It's astonishing that they survive happily at all. This is taken from A Natural History of Love by Diane Ackerman. Domesticate is a strong active verb, so is needs in the sentence about sperm and egg. But mostly the author uses the verb to be what we once called promiscuously the 
copulative verb or copulative verb to forge some daring intellectual connections. Here then are your tools of thumb. That's what he says to uh, conclude this section of tool four. Activate, uh, activate verbs, move the action. Activate verbs, move the action and reveal the actors. Passive verbs emphasize Sorry, active verbs move the action and reveal the actors. Passive verbs emphasize the receiver, the victim. The verb to be links word and ideas. These choices are not merely atheistic. They can also be moral and political. In his essay, Politics and, and the English Language, George Orwell describes the relationship, the relationship between language abuse and political abuse. How corrupt, how corrupt leaders use the passive voice to be obscure, unspeakable truths and shroud responsibility for their actions. They say it must be admitted now that the report has been reviewed that mistakes, that mistakes were made. Rather than I read the report and I admit I made a mistake. Here's a life tool. Always, always apologize in the active voice. So. So those are the examples he gives. He says, they say it must be admitted now that the report has been reviewed and uh, reviewed that mistakes were made rather than I read the report and I, and I admit I made a mistake. So here there's also a workshop on page 26. As I said, there's another workshop on page 22. There's a total of four on page 26, five on page 22. There's another four on page 18 and four, another five on page 14. You don't have to do them all at once, but after I get done with tool five, watch those adverbs. That'll be next time. Take it easy on the INGs. That, that's what I'm gonna cover next week. We'll begin on some of these questions for the workshops that I have already covered. Excuse me, I had a lot of coffee to drink. So, um, uh, it's, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to, uh, drink coffee. I think I'm on my second cup and it's, uh, it's uh, barely 10, 10 for me Eastern. Um, anyway, but, um, it, it's, of course you have to have your morning coffee. So, but what I was going to say is, uh, I'm, I'm getting off track here. I will have these episodes, um, for you, um, Next week, next Wednesday, I'll cover the last two sections of writing tools. Um, tool uh, five and tool six. And then on the Wednesday after that, I will go over the workshops on the, uh, the different tools that I covered and we'll go over the questions. And if anyone wants to, um, send some information about the workshop, about the podcast, please go ahead and send them to silstein07 at gmail.com. You can start as early as this week or next week, and I will hopefully be able to read your questions and address them. I also have that writing tips group where I'm going to cover all of this and, uh, and any other questions you may have. I'm still working on a newsletter for In the Artist Realm. I hope to also get a permanent email for in the artist realm only exclusively for that and next uh, Wednesday will be another writing tips 
The Fridays are still reserved for one-on-one -on -one for In the Artist Realm uh, with uh, different authors, artists, as I said. And like I said, it's been wonderful to be able to bring you this podcast. It, you can download it. I will upload it at 11 because uh, I'm trying to keep c consistency with the podcast. And uh, I will. Um, it'll be available through podbean.com for free. Also on iTunes and um, if you're on your mobile device, Google Play as well. So um, be sure to tune in next week. I am very happy to have brought you this today. Please uh, continue to tune in. I am very grateful for everyone that tunes in and, and downloads the episodes. Uh, go ahead and follow us on podbean.com. Um, I could really use more following. I know there's a lot of people that download, but don't be afraid to follow. You don't have to create your own podcast. You can sign in, but that doesn't mean you have to have one. If you want to, yes, you can, but you don't have to feel like you have to um, start your own podcast, but you can follow along in the artist realm. And I hope this writing tips uh, were good for you today. Tune in again. Uh, and this is indie author Sylvia Stein signing off. And I thank you for tuning in again. And we'll see you next week and uh, hopefully for more one-on-one -on, -one on Fridays. And again, thank you so much for your time. And I will let you go now. You all have a wonderful day. Appreciate it.